Miscarriage to me means a time of sadness, loss and a trigger for increased anxiety, all whilst holding on and trying to accept it wasn't the right moment. Miscarriage means the loss of a little life that felt so real from the beginning. It means the sudden feeling of sadness and grief in a time where you've never felt so alone. It also means acceptance and hope and motivates you to get up and try again. Miscarriage feels like hopes and dreams dashed in the moment. Miscarriage means uncertainty. I was unsure when it would take place, where, what it would feel like, the recovery. I had no clue. But also uncertainty about the future and what that holds. For me, I think the most confronting element of miscarriage was the stark realisation that you don't have control over the timing or, or process of you know, creating that little life that you've that you've decided, you know, you want to add to your family. Miscarriage is never easy, whether it's a few weeks into a pregnancy or halfway through a pregnancy, it can be absolutely heart shattering. All your hopes and dreams have just been shattered. For any mama that has experienced a miscarriage, whether yours is a very late miscarriage or an early one, it doesn't really matter. It's a child that you dreamed up would be yours. Miscarriage. As much as you know how common it is, as much as you know the risks, you still don't really think it will happen to you. At least I didn't. And when it does, as you've just heard from my beautiful friends, miscarriage can mean something immensely different to everyone. And that's why I felt it was needed to do this episode. Since starting this podcast, I've thought long and hard about how to approach this topic. I want it to be informative to help others understand miscarriage a little bit better and help normalize some of the experiences, doubts, and reactions we go through. And I wanted anyone who listens to leave this episode with resources that may help them or help a loved one. So I thought I'll do what I've been doing throughout this podcast and draw off my own experiences. I've brought in two of the most supportive women I met during this time, Dr. Sarah Farrell and Rabin Pepper-Kill, to help me explain miscarriage from both a medical and mental health perspective. I would like to give you a heads up that during this episode, we go into quite a lot of detail about my experiences. If that could be uncomfortable for you, I'd urge you to hit pause and I'd very much respect that decision. Having said that, enough time has passed now for me to feel okay about talking about it. It's been six months And while I definitely didn't think we would still be here with no positive pregnancy test half a year later, I have made my peace with it. And I trust that we're on a better path now. As always, I only hope this conversation helps at least one woman in the world feel less alone and less confused than I have if they're experiencing miscarriage. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Rabid. Thank you so much for joining me again on Bumps Along the Way. Maybe we could do a brief introduction to yourself, Sarah, and also you, Rabin, for anybody that hasn't listened to our previous conversations. I'm uh, Dr. Sarah Farrell. I'm a GP in Sydney, Australia, um, and I am a general GP, but I have a special interest in women's health, mainly fertility, pregnancy, and contraception. And yeah, that's me. Nice. Thank you, Rabin. Hi, everyone. Again, I am Robin Padberg-Hill. I am a psychotherapist specializing in 
working with women um, and specifically women in the perinatal uh, period. So that's everything from pregnancy to one year postpartum, perinatal mental health certified. And I'm also a mom of a three-year-old. Nice. Thank you. I brought both of you back onto Bumps to help me go through a topic that is, yeah, very deeply emotional, deeply personal, and unfortunately still relatively um, undiscussed for a lot of us, and that topic being miscarriage. And whether you both know this or not, you two were really impactful in helping me get through my own miscarriage. Um, Sarah, obviously my sister put us in touch when I was struggling to find the right ear over here in the Netherlands. And um, I had a lot of questions, which you very kindly and patiently took me through. And Rabid, you being here for kind of the aftermath and helping me through all of the grief. Yeah, I felt very fortunate to have both of you around. So I wanted to kick off by thanking you both, actually. What I thought would be helpful would be just to kind of go through that experience again. And then let's unpack what happened from both the medical perspective and the mental health perspective and try and help normalize, I suppose, some of these big physiological and psychological reactions that can happen post-miscarriage. What happened for me, I was around five and a half weeks pregnant, so barely just pregnant and going through all of those very exciting emotions and planning, how we're going to tell people and all these sorts of things. When I was, um, yeah, it was Saturday afternoon and I was walking to the hairdresser and I, I just felt like this big kind of whoosh of blood loss. I just maybe went into a state of shock and I was arriving at the hairdresser and I didn't really know what to do. So I just walked in and I sat down and I got my haircut. Yeah. Looking back, obviously I should have just left, but I don't think I had processed what was happening. And I jumped on Google and I started reading that blood loss can mean a lot of different things. So I tried to calm myself down, but then I went home and it just, it really continued. And I guess what happened was when I explained this to the midwife, she said, unfortunately, there's nothing you can really do that I'm so early that an ultrasound wouldn't show anything. So I just have to wait and monitor if the blood loss gets heavier. I did that. And that was probably the most hellish 24 hours of my life. And unfortunately, that blood loss did get a lot heavier and started passing clots and things like that. And because I was due to fly to Australia uh, that week, I kind of demanded something. I just couldn't accept that I wouldn't be able to get any kind of medical validation of what had happened. So I did go in and they did get um, and they did do an ultrasound and she basically said to me, well, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is you've had a miscarriage, but the good news is it's fully passed and you are clear to fly. I'm so sorry that you did go through that. Any pregnancy loss is really hard. And you said that it was barely pregnant. Pregnant is pregnant. You were pregnant and you lost that pregnancy. So that is something that you can grieve. Mm. In terms of what you experienced, unfortunately, when it comes to miscarriage in, in early pregnancy, it is common and it is, from a medical point of view, quite a simple, straightforward thing. So unfortunately, what can happen is women can present in this horrible situation for them to a medical um, 
whether it be sonographer, GP, midwife, and it doesn't match up to how intense their experience is to what what the medical people are thinking. Right. So what you experienced with the with the thing saying Look, there's nothing to see on a scan and you know just wait for blood that that's true that's called expectant management of a miscarriage but it's so difficult and i find that you need to explain to women a lot more than just this is normal let's watch and wait i think having all the answers um isn't possible um, and that's another really difficult part of miscarriage, but at least having a discussion about what we can tell you and why we can't tell you the other stuff is a little bit towards, you know, helping. Yeah. I think as well, like I didn't even realize that there are indeed different types of miscarriage and it was you that helped me understand this is what's called spontaneous, but there are actually different types. Yeah. So, um, there are different types of miscarriage. There is spontaneous complete. Um, so you spontaneously miscarried and it was complete. There is threatened miscarriages, um, which do often go on to, to miscarry, um, but sometimes can be reversed. And then there's missed miscarriages. So that's when the pregnancy isn't a viable pregnancy. So the pregnancy itself is not ongoing, but you haven't passed the pregnancy tissue. There's also ectopic pregnancies, molar pregnancies. There's a whole host of other things. But the most common ones we see are those spontaneous, complete, um, threatened or incomplete um, and missed miscarriages. Okay. And, Rabin, in your, like, perspective, those miscarriages play out quite differently. So... Could there be also a different process or a different reaction that people go through according to the situation that they are finding themselves in? Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. I think that there's, if we're talking about a spontaneous miscarriage, maybe a lot more panic and shock than something that is slowly building or that takes a lot longer to pass or doesn't pass completely. We're talking about that process of bargaining that you just mentioned in terms of going on Google and you know, that blood loss could mean a lot of things. Um, if a miscarriage doesn't completely pass, that process can be prolonged significantly, right? So mm -hmm. whatever emotions come up, yeah, they, they definitely can differ um, regarding what kind of miscarriage one might be experiencing. Yeah, I think that's such a, a interesting point. Something that I really underestimated was you really do go through all the stages of grief, starting with the shock and the denial. I don't think I realized that jumping on Google and praying for a different outcome, that is indeed bargaining, isn't it? I got very angry at some points, like irrationally angry. In terms of what comes up, you do look for a reason. And I, I found myself trying to understand why this was happening. And what I've learned, not to put words in your mouth, Sarah, but yeah, often it's actually nothing you did, right? It absolutely is nothing you did. So that's the first thing we need to make sure women know is it's not their fault. The most likely reason for an early miscarriage is a chromosomal abnormality or that the egg and the sperm met in a way that just wasn't wasn't going to create um, a viable fetus. So trying to dissect what you did wrong, whether you, you know, didn't eat enough fish or you went to yoga and stretched the wrong way. That's all 
unhelpful and Ravine will definitely be able to speak to how that can um, play out for the mental health side. Um, but I do also understand that people want a reason. They want to know why. They also want to know how to stop it happening again mm-hmm. um, because recurrent miscarriage is something that can occur. And in those cases, there often is something that's triggering these miscarriages and something that we need to treat. But after one miscarriage, trying to support you emotionally is the most important thing. And just to make sure that we realise it's not a medical concern, that you're you're fine, um, and just to look after your mental health. Yeah, I think that's such a good point in terms of the shame and the guilt that lots of women or expectant moms experience when it comes to miscarriages, I think that also feeds into, you know, the stigma and not talking about miscarriage enough, or, you know, the the reluctance in terms of sharing one's experience, because there often is that component, did I do something wrong? Should I have not, you know, like you said, worked out so hard or had a sip of wine or whatever may have you. And that shame and that guilt, which are such heavy emotions, right, keeps your story often small too, and keeps it isolated. And sharing the experience is such a huge part of the healing process. But those contradictive emotions, um, yeah, make it hard. Yeah. So you keep it to yourself out of fear of the shame. However, keeping it to yourself maybe minimizes it and therefore means you don't get the support that you maybe need. Because, of course, people don't know to show up for you if they don't know what's going on, right? Right. It's always such an – and this is very personal, you know, for every expectant mother. But generally, you know, we've been programmed to keep a pregnancy silent for 12 weeks, right, until we're in a safe zone, if you will, and the the chances of miscarriage uh, become smaller – but that also feeds into the stigma as if we do experience a miscarriage before 12 weeks, are we alone in having to heal from that and having to process that? And that's why I think, um, you know, it's such a complicated process in terms of we're not sharing the news yet, but one also might experience a loss. And then it's double isolating, if that makes sense. That- I am. Um, I agree. The 12-week rule is something I really hate, the fact yes. that it's become a rule. And I read this article a little while ago that said she broke the 12-week rule and blah, 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 blah. And I thought, why are we talking about there being a rule of 12 weeks? It's a personal decision to share a pregnancy and you share it with people that you need support from. They're the people that you'll celebrate it with. They're the people that you're going to grieve it with. And so whenever I people ask me this very often, being like, when should I tell people? And I said, whenever you want. You tell people that you want to celebrate it with because that's what you're doing at the moment. When you're pregnant, you're celebrating it. And when you're not, that's when you need the support. 100%. Exactly. And I love Sarah, I also love what you said. A pregnancy is a pregnancy, regardless if it's four weeks or if it's, you know, 38 weeks, it's still a pregnancy. And we're not able to enjoy it more, celebrate it more or grieve it more, depending on, you know, weeks of gestation. Absolutely. It's a future. It's a it's a idea. It's hopes. It's dreams. It's all those things that you when you see that those two lines you think about their due date. You think about what sort of, you know, summer baby, winter baby. You think about, 
you know, what school year they're going to be, all those things, that happens instantaneously. So it doesn't matter how long you've been thinking those things for, you've lost them. Um, and it's sad, really sad. Yeah. It all becomes extremely real instantly. You're right. And it, it, yeah, I shouldn't indeed have said that barely pregnant because that is dismissive and that is, um, you know, minimizing something that was very real to me and that that baby is very real to you. If we think about management options and how these miscarriages can occur, I understand there are also different options there, Sarah, and there are different experiences that that you can have physically. Would you mind just explaining you know, what some of those paths are? Sure. So generally there's three ways of managing a miscarriage and it does depend on the type of miscarriage a little bit, um, but it also depends on what the woman wants to experience and how she wants this miscarriage to play out as best she can in in her control. So expected management or watch and wait is um, where we just say, the body will take care of this itself. If you have started your miscarriage or indeed completed your miscarriage, we say, look, let's just monitor the blood loss, teach you about risks and when to, to reach out for some medical safety reasons, but allowing the body to do it naturally, um, whether that's a couple of days or can be up to three to four weeks, um, if it's a missed miscarriage. Some people like that. Some people like to just let nature take its course, if you will. I trust their body, experience the process. Um, it's part of a grieving process for some people. Um, and most of the time we can allow that um, for women. Other ways of managing it is medical management. So there's a medication that we can use to um, hasten the miscarriage, if you will. So cause your body to um, expel um, the pregnancy tissue generally within a few hours of taking the medication. Can be a couple of days, but that's that's generally as long as it takes. So that gives some women some control on to how long this process is going to take. It gives them um, some power to say, by Wednesday, I have miscarried. I'll take the rest of the, you know, whatever I need time-wise. Um, so it gives people control for that point of view. Mm. The process itself isn't particularly nice. It can be quite painful um, taking the medication, but so can the natural miscarriage itself. Um, so that's something I let women know that, Unfortunately, part of this process is experiencing the passing of the pregnancy tissue um, and the clots, and that may um, may be quite painful. So we can work on sort of pain relief and that sort of thing as well. The last option is surgical management. So that's a DNC. Um, this is available to anyone. We don't love jumping to surgical management purely because we are risk averse naturally. So we'd prefer not to um, anaesthetize and use surgical instruments <clears throat> where we can. But for some women, they want to go to sleep, wake up and it'll be over. And that's okay. So if that's something that you want, I encourage you to talk to your care, for, care provider about that. Sometimes we need to have a DNC for medical reasons, if there's excessive bleeding or infection um, or if it's an incomplete medical uh, medical management. So there is choice um, 
you will try to be pushed towards the medical management or expected management, um, but it's your body and it's your experience. So, um, yeah. What would be maybe some ways that women can, I guess, make that decision? Because when you're in that moment and you're presented maybe with these two options, how can people sort of, yeah, work through that, I guess? Look, I hope for most people they'll be able to speak to their GP who is trained and understands um, miscarriage management. There is your local general aid hospital, uh, an emergency um, pregnancy assessment services who do have trained nurses and midwives in this area who could also hopefully discuss the pros and cons with you. Um, but hopefully, you know, we would love this to be something that every doctor, um, every nurse is able to um, work through with women, but sometimes it's not. So I guess podcasts like this um, is also help so that people know um, what other people's experiences have been like yours. Um, mm. And then maybe people will start talking with their friends um, as well. Find community. Find your community. We're out there. People who have had miscarriages um, and people who have had them managed different ways. Yeah. What is happening post-miscarriage? Like physically you pass your pregnancy and maybe that's naturally or maybe that's through medical intervention or surgical intervention. And then what does your, what happens with your body? What processes are happening to kick it back into gear again? So when you're pregnant, you have very high estrogen and progesterone levels. You have uh, beta HCG, which is your pregnancy hormone. Um, flooding your system and those hormones drop quite rapidly after the pregnancy tissue has passed. So um, some people are back to baseline within a few days, um, especially if you're earlier um, in your gestation. Some people it's a couple of weeks, but you do come come down quite, quite significantly with those hormones and that's symptomatic for some people. Um, it can cause mood, mood changes, lethargy, sorry, tiredness, um, and coupled with all the emotion that you're going through at the time, it, it just adds adds um, another tricky layer to manage. And speaking of those emotions, Robin, like once that knowledge really sinks in and you get to a state of not acceptance but understanding of what has happened, as I said earlier, I felt like I really did go through all the stages of grief and it's the grief for your pregnancy loss and it's the grief of your future and your plans and, you know, your view of yourself as being a mother, which you no longer are. Um, Could you talk me through a bit about, yeah, just, I suppose, normalizing that all of that, those feelings are, are okay. Yes. 100%. I think in terms of grief and the stages of grief, it's not linear necessarily, right? So even knowing that what you're experiencing is indeed a miscarriage does not mean that there automatically is acceptance. So there can still be denial then, and there can still be bargaining then and anger then. And just understanding that the stages of grief aren't necessarily linear, I think would be helpful because, you know, women and folks that have lost the pregnancy, you know, kind of flow through those different stages. Grief is kind of an umbrella term, right? For those uh, different kinds of emotions. I think there's sadness and doom and gloom and sometimes maybe even stronger emotions um, 
you know, self-harm or suicidality, things like that. But what's important again during this stage is to, like we said, find community, right? The more we isolate, the less we can kind of share this experience to have it normalized, to have it validated. Yeah, the 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 higher the risks are of kind of staying in stages that really affect your mental health long term. I think as well, like understanding those stats around miscarriage and how common it is and that it affects maybe as many as one in four early pregnancies, that can help you feel less alone, but it is really connecting with others that truly helps you feel less alone. I feel like when I called one of my best friends and she was able to make me laugh in this darkest time that really is, you know, the thing that can pull you out of it. Or um, hearing an experience that's been very similar to your own and just learning from each other, those are the things that are going to carry you through, I think, and um, help to, I guess, minimise the length of this process because I understand it can have a very long-term impact on the rest of your fertility process as well. Absolutely. I think um, I think that's a really fair statement. Women that um, suffer miscarriages, about one in four tend to develop symptoms of post-traumatic stress syndrome or post-traumatic stress disorder, I should say. And then about 30 to 50 percent develop anxiety, about 10 to 20 percent develop symptoms of depression. So I think that that really ties into this is not just a moment in time, right? This can last up to four to six months. And again, those are just stats. So there's plenty of women out there that suffer in silence and this healing process is a lot longer. That's such a good point. In terms of not suffering in silence, if there is someone out there listening to this that is experiencing a miscarriage and just doesn't know how to talk about it, what do you think would could be some ways that they could approach their family and friends with this news? Or yeah, how can people, I guess, learn to talk about this? Well, I think we're working on one of them, right? So <laughs> normalizing the topic, I think, is is huge. And doing that in all different, you know, kinds of care. So doing it in the medical system, the mental health field, but also in our homes, right? And how can we start having these conversations in our homes. Yeah, by by finding the courage to have uncomfortable conversations with the goal and the intention to find community and healing. And I think we do that through support groups, through podcasts, through books, through um, TV, you know, whatever may have you to normalize the topic um, in our doctor's offices and in your therapist's office at coffee with your friends or your sister, you know, um, even if it's not necessarily your own experience, but to just be open to bear witness for others that have might experience something like this is really important. This is something I try and do in my consults when I um, have patients. And I think Anna, I probably spoke to you about it back then on that first time I met you on the phone. Um, But I tell people about my miscarriages that I had um, and tell them, essentially how they were managed um, all very matter-of-factly without the emotion attached just from a medical point of view but attached with the personal knowledge so that people feel that they can be okay to talk about these things um, not only medically um, to their doctor. 
I think that's such a beautiful point, Sarah, that you actually that you say sometimes as a professional, as either a medical professional or a mental health professional, to use self-disclosure to help connect and normalize an experience or validate an experience for one of our patients or clients or whatever may have you can be really therapeutic and can be really helpful. Hi, I'm your doctor, but this also happened to me. Hi, I'm your therapist, but this also happened to me. Those are the spaces where there's so much trust and therefore someone really can show up with their experience. So I think that's major. I'm curious as well. um, And Sarah, thank you for also you know, sharing that this is something that you have been through yourself. And I'm also very sorry that you had those experiences. What were some of the things that, in your opinion, people did or said that were really comforting? And I guess, how can others yeah, be there for their friend or family member that are going through this? So I think Rabine talks about giving space. Um, and I do really like that concept of allowing them to feel whatever they're feeling um, and giving them the space for that. So asking, how are you feeling? I'm sorry you've had a miscarriage. Don't um, assume that it's going to be too awkward or that they don't want to talk about it. They can say, oh, look, I'd rather not talk about it. It's better that than no one asking and then wanting to speak, but no one's asked. The other thing we really want people not to do is minimise um, and say, oh, look, it happens to one in four people or, um, well, it just wasn't meant to be. Those things, while true, um, don't help when someone's feeling huge emotions. Um, and it probably is part of a society um, societal thing that why we do say things like, well, I was only barely pregnant or, oh, it was a very early miscarriage. Um, we probably do that just so that we don't think people um, – People don't judge us for making a big deal about an early miscarriage um, when really, as we've said, all miscarriages um, is loss. I, I love what you said, right? Often when, when, when folks go through the grieving process and they share this with others, the, other, the, the person on the other end might want to fix things, right? Oh, well, you know, this was not your time. You'll get, you know, another chance at this or, you know, try to say things that might help them, you know, fix it or take away their pain, but it actually can be more dismissing, dismissive and, and, um, you know, painful for the person that's going through this grieving process. So I, I agree. I think giving space and, and just reminding yourself, I don't need to fix this for whoever is going through it, but We can also just sit in silence, for example, with the heaviness of this news to just be like, wow, this is really painful. And I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I'm here. Mm. And um, Anna, we had on our episode also that little uh, YouTube clip of how to support a grieving friend. So maybe we can put that again in the uh, in the credits just to Mm -hmm. help give people a reminder of what's what's a supportive way to help someone in this process rather than wanting to fix it. And also wanting to fix the grieving process makes someone could make someone feel rushed in the process too. Like you want to give people the time to really go through those emotions, go through those stages of grief. And um yeah, often yeah. the fixing is to make someone else feel better too. Yeah, I I can think of two very parallel experiences that I learned a lot from because one of them was receiving a text message, hey, I understand you may not respond to this, but I just wanted to let you know I'm thinking of you and I hope you're all right. 
And I just thought that was perfect because no pressure to respond, no pressure to react, but just letting me know that they were there. And that was so beautiful. The parallel experience was, I think I was having coffee with someone maybe two or three months later. Oh, how are you? I said, oh, no, like I'm I'm not really like feeling my best. Obviously, we, uh, we had that uh, had a miscarriage and they said, oh, wasn't that months ago? I think it was a knee-jerk reaction. I don't think they're expecting me to bring it to the table like that. But I just remember thinking like, oh, should I not still be in this? Should I be moved on now? Yeah, no shoulds. No, you can take your time however long you need to to grieve that loss. Yeah. See, I both think- your faces just then really validated. <laughs> that was not an okay thing to say. I think you always grieve it no matter like it will get less and it does get less and I've been very very lucky to have two pregnancies since my miscarriages Um, so I've now got a family of three and I'm completely blessed and know that that is amazing but I do sometimes get twangs in my heart thinking about those two pregnancies that weren't and that's okay I don't want those twangs to actually ever go because they're reminders of what were um and that's part of the story um that's why I've got my other two it's because that's just what happened but yeah you will always grieve them and um no time definitely not two to three months mind you um is is going to make that go away no speaking of um what could be some things that couples could do to get through this together do you think you know it's also a very challenging time for your partner who is your support person and is maybe also grieving but potentially to a different level maybe how do you think that like couples can sort of help guide each other through this process and heal together I think it comes back to the not not wanting to fix it for your partner right if if um, the partner that's not experiencing the miscarriage they might grieve this differently. Um, they might grieve the pregnancy or the loss differently. And I think that just knowing that experiences can be different, but still holding space for each other is important. And, you know, reminding the other person or reminding each other, we don't need to fix this for each other. We just have a different experience is important. And um, yeah, that just came up for me. I think that rings true to me. I have a beautiful husband who's very practical, though, and for him a pregnancy is a big tummy and a baby at the end. So a miscarriage, while sad and inconvenient, and I did have a um, a missed miscarriage that failed medical intervention and we need a surgical intervention. So that process, he was like, yeah, that was crap, but that's over now. And that's okay. It, it's hard to be part of um, part of that in an emotional duo, um, but they do. They experience it differently because it's not happening to their body. They don't have the hormonal um, inputs that we're having as well. So trying to be kind to each other, um, to allow each other to um, to grieve and heal the way that suits them best is also important. I think that's something that really took me by surprise as well was the the difference in um, the, I guess, yeah, grieving journey that you do go through. I think when you do have such an early stage miscarriage, 
something that I thought about, uh, which could be completely incorrect, but for the male partner with no ultrasound and no hearing, no, I guess, heartbeat and not seeing anything, they've had no um, physical or visual connection to this pregnancy yet. And I guess for them, it could be, it's the idea and they, and they, they, you know what I mean? Whereas for a woman, even before you get your first scan and before you hear a heartbeat, you feel something, right? And I felt like that could be a big reason why you do go through such a different level of grief perhaps as well. Absolutely, because it's happening to you. Um, I I see all sorts of different dads um, in what I do, but I do find that most men are more connected when there's something physical to attach to. So they'll be the ones that are showing me on their phone the photos um, or record the heartbeat, um, whereas the mum can just touch the tummy or yeah. just feel it as there. Um, and they also say for some men, like, you have to wait for the baby to arrive for them to physically feel connected. Um, so for those men, it is going to be really hard to grieve a miscarriage because for them there was nothing that they were connected to in the first place nothing to grieve potentially for them um yeah it's an uncomfortable thought we'd prefer everyone to to feel as emotionally connected to the pregnancy as we are um but everyone is different yeah yeah and I think it's important as well to to just again normalize that it's okay to have very different experiences. It doesn't mean your partner is not there for you or having their own grief. It's just different. Yeah, and women too. Some women don't grieve um, their miscarriages. Some women are quite practically minded about it, um, and that's okay as well. We don't yeah. um, we don't want to have expectations on um, how you know we we want people to be able to grieve as big and. Um, fully as possible but also we don't want to judge people who who don't because that's also quite normal yeah and also maybe not generalized to just men right so non-carrying partners there's lots of you know um gay couples that yeah. have carrying partners non-carrying partners so it's not necessarily just gender stereotypical but um yeah just having different experiences for the carrying partner versus the other um yeah i think is important to name Oh, absolutely. That's such, I'm so happy that you said that as well, because sometimes I feel like this whole conversation can get gender stereotypical, I believe was the word you used. From yourself, Sarah, and from yourself, Rabin, if someone is going through this and they're looking for information or resources that can help them get them through this time, where would you direct people? Um, So I like to direct people to SANS Australia. Um, it's for miscarriage and stillbirth support um, and the pink elephant. Um, and there's also bears of hope. Um, they kind of all three cover off different um, different aspects of support for people. Yeah, so I really like those three resources. Thank you. And Rabin? I think in the last podcast I, or the last episode I did with you just through PSI, so Postpartum Support International, they... Um, have resources on their website. They have, most are US time though, but they have some free support groups as well. Um, find a therapist that's perinatal mental health certified. Yeah. And if that is out of possible, the realm of possibilities, um, maybe a safe friend or family member. 
Yes, definitely. I love those. Um, I also have a couple of recommendations outside of what you've both mentioned. The first is that one of my besties from home during a time where I was feeling really lost and alone, she sent me the Instagram account of CC Jeffries. And CC is Australia's, well, not Australia's, maybe like the world's biggest um, fertility and infertility advocate. Her Instagram account is just so spot on when it comes to this narrative. And I just found it felt like she had dived into my brain and posted what I was thinking and feeling. So I found a lot of comfort um, through her posts. And she's also made a collective called the Fertility Hand Collective, where you can sign up and get more coaching and support. Furthermore, I stumbled upon Hilary Metcalf's Guide to Navigating Miscarriage. Hilary is the founder of the Sabi, and they've created a line of wellness and beauty products that can assist with hormone balancing. And based off Hilary's own experience with miscarriage, she actually found that a lot of the people around her unfortunately didn't know how to talk to her about what she was going through. So she created this guide to navigating miscarriage, which I thought was really spot on. I think it goes without saying the Darling Shine podcast is, of course, such an incredible resource when it comes to this topic. Chloe Fisher uses her platform so beautifully to take people through her experience with recurrent miscarriage and infertility. And she's done such a beautiful job together with Elodie Pullen to spread awareness around this topic. And I binged watched Firefly Lane during my miscarriage. I don't know if either of you have seen it, but I love it. Oh, I love it so much. And like Tully's character, goes through this experience and Kate's character goes through secondary infertility. And I just saw that they handled those two um, situations and conversations so beautifully. And it's just such a beautiful friendship and it made me feel very comforted. Yeah, it's an overall show. Yeah. As a final takeaway, if you would both leave any listeners with any parting words um, that may be experiencing miscarriage or supporting somebody through miscarriage, um, what what would they be? If you feel like reaching out, you won't regret it because community um, is really important um, for getting through something like this. Um, Doctors are great, therapists are wonderful, but friends are going to be really, um, really where it's at. Yeah, and just whatever it is that you're feeling, whatever emotions are coming up, um, it's normal. You didn't do anything wrong. You're allowed to feel the way you're feeling. Yeah, and give yourself time as well. I think that's everything. Um, I want to thank you both so much for everything you've done for me and everything you've also done for this podcast. I've received so many messages um, from all across the world, just people who have loved listening to you both and learning from you both. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you, Anna. I really enjoyed chatting to you. Yeah, thanks for having me again and um, being part of this community is an honor. So, mm, thank you both.